Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Tim read the gospel to us this morning during our communion hour of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it is felt. It has been felt this morning. Thank you, Richard. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the gospel this morning, but we're going to talk about what to do with it. We do something with the gospel. We obey the gospel. Isn't that a strange thing? That Christ came to this earth and died and was buried and was raised as a historical event, and then he told us to obey that. Obey the gospel. How do you obey a historical event? We'll, we'll take a look at one of the elements of that, what our response is to that this morning, not only in a very personal way at one point in the sermon about what you must do to be saved, but also once you're saved, what do we do? We're starting a series this morning called The Body of Christ. We're going to run it for a little while, as long as we need to, to get through all the passages that talk about what it means that we're the body and how it looks that we all work together. But we're going to hone in on something this morning before we get started in all the, the inner workings of the body and the networking that we do in the body and the collective work and the mission we're on in the body by talking about the value of one thing, one saved person, each one of us. We're going to talk about the value of that first. We have to understand that before we come together, lest we get lost in the crowd. Lest we, lest we feel like, at least, we're, we're just one unnoticed person here. Or that we feel that we are higher than the rest of the people here. Let me illustrate maybe a little bit how this works. Um, those of you who live in Carroll or Bloom Township, uh, get the privilege of driving out here uh, to go home today, and you'll go out 256, about half a mile, and you'll turn left on Carroll Northern Road, and you pass what we call Gotta Go Row. Gotta Go Row. Those of you who are chuckling probably know what I'm talking about. If you don't know where that Gotta Go Row is, it's the place with the real freaky mannequin on the front porch that it looks at you when you go by. All right, that's got to go row. And this morning when we came by, there were a couple new cars out there. There's anything out there. Trust me, anything, they sell it. And it, people buy it, which is crazy. But this morning there were some really cool cars out there. Now, I don't know a lot about cars. Uh, I'm interested in cars, but it's just one other hobby I don't have time to pursue. But I know this. I drove down the road this morning. I saw an old Corvette, something that looked like a Studebaker or something and an old pickup truck. I don't remember what kind it was. I couldn't see. Some of you, though, would be able to know right from the get-go. That's an old... All I know is they were really cool. And, and I thought, that'd be fun to drive that thing. But there are some of you here who go to car shows. And when you go, you want to look out like we're looking out at the parking lot, and, and you just you love to see all the color, all the, the bright paint colors, the impeccable paint jobs. And you get that wow factor, like, wow, look at all these cars. 
But inevitably, I know from knowing some of you who do this, that the discussion soon turns to what's under the hood. Let's go around and look what's under the hood. They have the hoods up most cases, right? So you can look in there and you get to see the inner workings and how all these different parts that the manufacturer made work together. And when they fire them up, it just you get the full effect of it. It sounds cool. It, 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 it looks cool. But then you, you get, if you're really into automobiles, especially antique automobiles, you, you start talking about the parts that are in it, right? The individual parts. Like that thing has a blank, 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 blank with a blank, blank, and a blank, blank on it. I, I wasn't swearing there. <laughs> Those are just all the words that, that I don't understand, all right? And you start talking about the one part that's pretty special about that or that somebody restored it with. But you just want to get in and drive them. That's really what you want to do. So you might buy one and drive it or restore it like some of you do. There's several of you sitting here I know restore these cars. Some of you in here are doctors and nurses or people in the health field in general or in the helping ministries. And those of you, though, who study the human body probably marveled at a young age at the body. Or maybe you got into the career because you knew someone who was sick or you helped nurse mommy back to health one day or you had some experience where you helped bring about wellness in someone. You had an interest in the wellness of human beings. And so, being so fascinated as you were, you went to school for many, many years and studied with fascination, or just studied with books full of pages about the inner workings of the human body. And it is an intricate and complex design, is it not? And inevitably, you might either get into where you have to learn each organ or each tissue and what that function of that one thing is within the system that it's found. And you have to learn that so that you can do what? Bring wellness to the whole body of a person, right? Ultimately, I hope the, the, the real reason that most people are in it is to care about those individuals. But nonetheless, you want to help nurse people back to health or fix some kind of injury like Dr. Pugh did on Anthony with rods and bolts and screws. You have an interest in that. Then there's the body of Christ. Then there's the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing when we're all together. The sheer number of us gives me strength. I don't know about you, but just coming in here and seeing everybody, your presence gives me a strength. But then when we lift our voices to God and blend them together in harmony, uh, if, if, you, if you don't have harmony, you still get drowned out in everybody's harmony. It's wonderful. But we direct that to each other or we lift our praises up to God. That's a beautiful thing. And if you forget that, talk to people like Steve Inman, who's been coming for several months on Sunday evenings when he's able. Never been a part of a cappella singing in the church. And he said, I didn't understand it when it was told me, but when I came by invitation of one of our members, it blew me away. Or if you forget 
the strength that you get from the church just by being here, just by being here in worship. When you're away for two or three or four weeks and you come back, you're reminded, aren't you? Oh, this, it's good to be here. There's, a, there's a, a warmth. There is not just the numbers, but, but there are smiles that greet you here. I never forgot that as a child. When I was 18, 19, 20 years old and I was faltering on that fence, actually across the fence, I, I remember Ruth Bates, who's Karen Hinton's relative. I remember squeezing my cheeks at the Wadsworth Church of Christ when I was a little kid. And I started to remember my Aunt Helen teaching our Bible classes when I was a boy, how much time they took, how much love they showed. That helped me to remember where blessing was found and where God existed and was present. And I found that group of, of local believers and began to enjoy that again. It's a vibrant place, but what I want to look at in this first lesson on the body of Christ, the church, is that each one of us is very, very special. Not just before you're saved, not just during that honeymoon phase after you're saved where everybody's doting on you and giving you recognition, you feel clean, but I'm talking about the working that Richard read about in Ephesians 2.10 that God says He continues to do. John wrote, He continues to cleanse. We continue to mature, but God sees each one of you as His workmanship. Collectively, yes, to where we should be able to, and especially people in the community. Call them the unchurched, call them unbelievers. Many of them are believers in God, but they're not a part of a body. They should be able to look at our work and say, wow. And especially as they look across the body and they see people of different ages all coming together and worshiping together. People of different races, ethnicities, colors. People uh, that are young and vibrant and in prime and other people coming in with canes and you know, in wheelchairs. And we're all coming together and, and we're happy to be together. There's that power, but that comes from something that's built piece by piece. Remember the Johnny Cash song, One Piece at a Time? Well, that's how God builds us, except He didn't steal the parts from work, if you know that song. So let's take a look at that. And I want to have you while you're opened to Ephesians 2. I hope you are. I hope you read with us and, and are still there. And if you're not, please turn there. I don't think we can preach enough out of this book. The, the older I get, the more valuable this letter becomes to who we are and what we're doing. But in chapter 4, in verses 15 and 16, you see what it is that we're trying to accomplish together. And Paul said that you may grow up in all things, all of you, that you may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. This is for the purpose of glorifying, look at chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, 
What that does, when we're all working together, each part doing its share to mature the body, to grow the body, what that does is it glorifies Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Boy, there's a lot in there. This thing is supposed to last for a while to all generations forever and ever. So when we all work together and we do it to glorify our God and our Lord Jesus Christ, we do it to the intent of bringing glory to God so that people may know Him. Now, in chapter 3, in verse 10, we're backing up. We're unwinding a package here, church. Chapter 4 was the culmination of this thing. Now we're backing up. We do it to glorify Christ and our God. And we back up to, to chapter 3, verse 10. We see another purpose in this. His power is working in us, quote, to the intent that now the manifold or many-folded wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We're making a point by what we're doing. But if you continue to go back, that was 3.10. Look at 2.10. When people from every walk of life come together in one walk like we're doing, one mission, we evince that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that, chapter 1, verse 10, kind of interesting how that turned out when I was backtracking. So that in chapter 1, verse 10, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. That's what God wants to do is gather together individuals and to gather together individual churches, bodies of believers in different locations. He's going to gather us together into churches and then into the heavens. But we find out clear back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, clear back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, that it is through Jesus that each one of us is cleansed from our sins by the blood of Christ, brought before Him in His presence and blessed, that we are adopted as sons, each of us, which means male or female, we all get an inheritance from our Father, and we all receive the tender loving care of our Heavenly Father as dear children. We're adopted, we're accepted, He says, that we might be gathered into one. So if you unwind that package where you see in chapter 4, here we all are working together, doing our share, and you bring it back to the beginning, he says it starts with one story at a time. It starts with your story of how you came to believe and to obey the gospel and to walk in your faith journey with God through Christ. He began knitting you individually, before and even, when and during, He begins to knit you together 
with each other. He sought after you. He purchased you with a purchase price. And He redeemed you. You. So in the end, when we're all gathered together in the fullness of the dispensation of the times, when we come before Him, each one uh, to stand before the throne as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it, it won't have an effect on your eternal destiny uh, what so-and-so over here was doing or how they treated you or mistreated you or what somebody said. God saved you to glorify Him and wants to work you so that He can enjoy a relationship with you. That never changes. That never changes. When you come into the body and you begin to work together to accomplish this great mission He has, it never changes that He has a special eye on you as His Father and He wants to continually cleanse you and walk with you and hear your prayers and help you through your trials and your problems and to bless you just because He loves you as a child. That never changes. But, but God, I, um, but, but these people and this thing happened, it, no matter how the whole affects you, He still wants to retain that personal relationship with you. We're His workmanship. And we're going to look at some real amazing things about the church, I believe, but the power re resides in the sum of the parts in which there is power working that come together and build this body to accomplish a work. The passage in 2.10 has a very special message that we need to consider, consider before we carry on with the uh, relationships we have to one another. And I want to talk about that first. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This word workmanship just means workmanship. There's no fancy hidden Greek meanings or richer or deeper meanings. That's pretty rich. That the thought that He takes you and works on you as one would work in a wood shop and, and chip and carve and cut away and, and create something beautiful or someone who is smelting or, or molding something out of a metal and getting the impurities out. This, this idea or putting you on a potter's wheel and spinning you around and, and He's trying to create you, but He's not just creating you for the first time. This is a recreation. This is a recreation. And we need to continue to let Him recreate. But if there are 300 members in this body, and we have somewhere around that, maybe a few more. If there are 300 members in this body and 299 of us are actively engaged with God, allowing His Spirit to work in us and recreate us into the image of His dear Son, as Paul wrote to the Romans, and there's one who's not, you know what he's going to do? He's going to seek that one and work on that one to bring them back into the mold that they need to be shaped upon and put them back on the potter's wheel. Here's what happens. Richard read it. It was not uh, just because we wanted a longer reading this morning that we started in Ephesians 2.1. Did you see where we were before we all came together and began to enjoy this thing we call the body? Did you see where we were? At first, He knitted you together in, his, in, in the womb. 
and you were born in innocence. And then the beginning of Ephesians 2 tells us that when we were of age, we began obeying the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and sin took hold of us, and we rose up to oppose God. He says, you were children of wrath. Now that word wrath has a little richer meaning. That word wrath means to rise up in opposition to. And we were children of wrath. And I used to read that, that we were children of God's wrath. No. We were obeying our own lusts, our desires. This is my life. And I'll do what I want, the animals used to sing, right? Bon Jovi got a song, it's my life. You all know them, you've probably heard them. And, and they've been teaching us, it's your life, it's your life. Burger King says, have it your way. All right, and, and we, we get that message and, and we want to just do our thing. And he said, when you do that, some of you are sitting here and saying, I was a church kid, I didn't really raise up in opposition to God. I always went to church and then I became a Christian. And Listen, when you sinned, you joined with the choir of the world who raised up in opposition to God and joined them in opposing. You say, well, maybe not God. Well, you oppose the mission, the wisdom, the grace, the glory, the message, the gospel. You oppose God. <laughs> when you began to listen to those desires, and that's the point at which many of you then realize, what shall I do? Paul told it how it was in his life in Romans 7. He said, that which I willed not to do, I did. And that which I willed to do, I did not do. And at the end of the chapter, he said, who will save us from this body of death? And this, this body is a body of death. I, I, I seem to always want to raise up in opposition to God. But he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. There's a solution. And there's no condemnation in Christ, chapter 8, verse 1. That's the context of that. There's no condemnation in Christ. So I want to know, what do I, what do, I do here? To get in Christ and to stay in Christ. But before that, church, realize and never forget, I think we have some ink in here that says never forget. We have bumper stickers all over community that says never forget 9-11, right? That's what you associate with. I want to challenge you, never forget where you were. Never forget where you were. Paul doesn't say, some of you were worse than others. He says we were all children of wrath. We all raised up in opposition to God. And before you were even seeking Him, don't forget this, what He told us of what He was doing. Before we were even seeking Him, He was seeking your heart for the slightest glimpse that you might desire to worship Him. John 24, 23 and 24. You know, God is spirit and those who worship Him must... Well, the previous verse says He is seeking such to worship Him. God was seeking you. He was looking to see if there was even a mustard seed of faith in your heart. And maybe you gave Him a glimpse of that. He continued to provide for your needs, sending the sunshine and the rain on the just and the unjust when you were the unjust. And you filled your belly with the food of the earth and you breathed in the air and you looked out at the beauty of the earth 
And you might have said, this is beautiful. Maybe not thought about God. Or maybe you thought about Him and opened up the door of your heart just a little wider because He was seeking you. He was thinking of your good and of the future and the hope that He had in mind for you like Jeremiah told Israel when they were imprisoned and we were spiritually imprisoned. He said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. He was thinking about what he could do with you if you just gave him something to work with. He was near to us when we were far away, Paul said to the Athenians in Acts 17, so that we would be able to find him if we would seek him. We were straying off somewhere and God was just following us right along. I'm here. I know you see me. I saw that little glimmer of hope. I saw that little hesitation you had in your step when you stopped trusting in yourself that day when you failed I saw that and he followed us he was desiring to save us not condemn us John three seventeen, for he sent the son his son into the world not to condemn but to save the world his works on our conscience through his word began to convict us of sin he sent the Holy Spirit into the world through His Word, perhaps in that context, to convict the world of sin. And when we have that feeling, that sense of, I ought to or I ought not to, whether you're a Christian or back in the day when you weren't, as a message is from God through what He has told you is right and wrong, He was pursuing you. He was right there waiting on you. Now when you began to seek Him, each one of us, He put people in your life, did He not? To show you the way. And ultimately then to teach you or tell you the way. Or maybe to prompt you and prod you or convict you with those words from God. He put people all over my life. I mean, they were scattered all around me. I refused to see it until I was ready to listen. Then I realized how much work God had been doing. Putting people in my life at the right place at the right time. The right kinds of people even. That I might be convicted. That I might watch and observe their patterns. Do you have those people in your life? I know you do. You can name them too, can't you? You can name them. He created opportunities for you to obey Him. Matthew 7, 7. You seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. I'll open the door. I'll answer. And He drew you, like Hosea said to the, to the church of old, with gentle cords. Boy, do I appreciate that. Drew me with gentle cords. He probably drew you with gentle cords. Maybe he rocked your boat pretty hard or shook you pretty hard. But he draws us with gentle cords. And when you found him, he provided some things for you. He provided water for you to be buried with him in baptism. Isn't it nice that 75% or something like that of the world is made of water? Just about wherever you go, you can find it. It's pretty brilliant that God said, I want you to be buried with my son in a figurative way, but I want you to remember it forever and mark it by the day that you went down into the watery grave. That'll be when you know you can rest on that day. Can you imagine if we didn't teach baptism? Some of you can. 
Some of you can. Some of you have come from churches where you prayed the Lord into your heart or you said, I think I trust Jesus and I want to be saved. My trust factor was like this. When I was 13, 14, 15, 16, it was all over the place. And if I said, I know I was saved because on, on that day, immediately I may have said on the next day, I had no faith, so was I saved. I'm very glad that on February 11th, 1984, I can look back and say, I know what my Lord did on that day. It wasn't my work. I died. That's all I did. John White held me as I died and was buried in water. And I remember that day, and he provided that for me, that avenue, and that reassurance that there was a day, and it wasn't because of the water itself, but it was because of my submission to him, and I know I did that. And now when I stray, now when I sin, I know what to do because he said, those of you who have been buried with him need to go to him, not to be buried again in water, but to ask for forgiveness. And your father, who is faithful and just to forgive all our sins, John said in chapter 1 of his letter, will continue, continually cleanse you in the blood of his dear son. Continually. He wants to continue to work on you. He entered into a covenant with you and promised to never, never leave you or forsake you. I will, I will never forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. In the Greek bears out five negatives. I will never leave you, no, not ever. Never, ever, no, not ever is how it's borne out. I think he wanted us to know something there about walking with us through the rest of our life. And then what's more? And then what's more? He shared with us his spirit. We're partakers of the Holy Spirit. Wow. What does he mean that we've been blessed with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? What does that mean? He has shared his Holy Spirit with you, which in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 says, is the power that works in you to be able to transform into one who brings him glory and come together with other siblings in the body to glorify Him in mission and go and save a bunch of other people that need to hear this message. And they need to hear it desperately, don't they? They need to hear it desperately. I think if we forget where we've been, it's less urgent whether we share it with somebody or not. I think when you forget that and church just becomes the routine, I am kind of lost in the religious system. I just... I am kind of lost in a sea of souls here. I think that's when you also forget that people truly are dying in sin around us, though they may live. What does this mean to us? What do you want me to do, Lord? Well, first thing he told his disciples to do in that case of urgency in Matthew 9, uh, chapter 9 was lift up your eyes. And Anthony preached a sermon not long ago, lift up your eyes, the fields are white into harvest. That transcends the ages. Because if we would lift up our eyes, just, just get, get your face out of your own business, and lift up your eyes, you see the pain and the hurt and the suffering that could be healed through a relationship with Jesus. Lift up your eyes and then pray that He would send laborers and while you're doing that, you go, 
you go into all the world. Start where you're at. They started in Jerusalem, right where they were. And they spread out as they traveled and went to Samaria, Judea and Samaria and other most parts of the world. Some of us do that. Actually, tonight, uh, we're pleased to hear from Alan and Barry about how our youth went to another part of our country. But we also hear from time to time about those of you who are going to other parts of the world and sharing the gospel and edifying churches. That's a wonderful thing. That's what you do first. But I want to set before you three urgencies, well, three categories of people where this is urgent, that you, first of all, if you are assembling here and you have heard the gospel message that Christ died for you, that we're saved by grace, not of yourself, not of your own doing or your own work, look how good I am while I come to church, not that, but it's the gift of God. And you have not received that gift. I want to personally, in this church, with all the Christians here, want to urge you personally to put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, to be your Lord. You need to confess Him as the Lord of your life. It's a new thing. It's a new walk. It's a new way of doing things. It's challenging and difficult. The gate is narrow. The path is difficult. There's not a better path to be on in your life. Amen? I'll take the difficult way. He'll add you to the church and you'll be adopted into His family, a member of the body of believers and a member of this church locally. Secondly, I want to urge everyone who assembles here who has not placed membership, quote-unquote, to do so. This is a biblical precedent. What this does is this allows other Christians to know, first of all, that you want to be involved in this moving machinery where we're all doing different works and we're striving to do those things. You might say, well, I don't think we all are doing different works. Well, we're working on that. We're working on our work. But we want you to be a part of that. We need to know that you're both feet in with us. That's common sense. But also, membership in the local body will give you opportunities to edify other Christians and also to receive their edification as a sibling in a family committed to one another. And membership gives you the field wherein your work may be done, where you may go into this field of harvest and do the work. It is the playing field where all these things are played out. How could you otherwise introduce someone to your head if you yourself are not a member of a body, an identifiable body of believers? We want you to place your membership here, and you do that by catching one of our elders and saying, I want to do that. I want to make sure that I'm on the roll. I want to make sure that there's accountability between us. I need that strength. I need to, people to know that I'm in this to win it, and I'm in it to stay. Thirdly, though, we want to urge each member of this local body to be involved in the mission and the ministry of the Lord, the work of the Lord, doing these good works in such a way that you know that what you're doing is what you're meant to be doing. We have provided a GPS for ministry uh, in the foyer near the ministry boards just this week. It's out there today. 
And what that'll do is it'll walk you through much of this book, where it comes from, what is your gift, how your personality comes into play, and also how skills or experiences or education that you've received may come into play to help you do ministry in the body of Christ. That's available for you. We want to encourage you to take a look at that. Some of you are in a vulnerable spot. I want to highlight some of those types of situations. Some of you are new members. That is, you've just been baptized into Christ. And maybe uh, you have not yet been given a work to do. I think about Caden Workoven. Young man, became a Christian, and he said, what can I do? <laughs> I love that. I said, I've got something for you to do. And when you come in and those connect cards and those special contribution cards are in there lined up every week, that's not our cleaning crew or anybody else doing. That's Caden. He gets those and he does that faithfully. He's been doing it for months. He, he asked, and that helped. But, but maybe you're a parent of a, of a teenager or a younger person that says, I don't really know what, I'm, what, what they do or what can be done. You need to come and, and see us about that. Some of you are, maybe your life circumstances have changed recently. Maybe you've moved and you're new members that way, but you're not yet involved. Maybe, maybe you've gone through a divorce and it changed the dynamic of the way you were serving or discouraged you for a while but you're ready to get back in. You just don't know where or how now that you're in this new stage of life. Maybe you're a widow or widower in the same situation. Maybe you're in your 20s. There is a vulnerable time. All my life, just been youth group, youth group. They tell me where to go, when to show up, what to do, what to bring, bring this, that, and the other thing. And I go and I do it, and it's led and organized. And, and now you're, well, I'm not part of the youth group anymore. What now? These are times in your life you need to pay special attention to, and there's many more, but I want to urge you to consider if you're in one of those vulnerable spots to check out the ministries that now exist or that could be done by you. So I just want to close by mentioning that each week, as part of this series, in conjunction with it, we're going to highlight one of our, what I call, core ministries ministries that are necessary to the existence of our church and its health. We're going to highlight core ministries. There are many other ministries going on, and we'll leave space for those to, to be mentioned or developed in time. But I want you to just take a look at these and see if perhaps this is where I should be working. And people the lead, that lead those ministries are actually going to be back in the fellowship hall for you to go and talk to. And they may even have jobs ready for you to do if you just ask. Today, we're going to highlight our youth ministry. Our youth ministry is being organized and divided nicely into some different compartments. There's what we call the Vision Youth, and that's the 7th through 12th graders. The Gillespie and the Schoolies particularly are leading that uh, effort for our young people, and they're the ones to contact. They'll be available in the fellowship hall today. And then our younger parents said, you know, we hate to be left out. We've got little children. They want to be together. And so there's a children's ministry that's very active. It's becoming more organized, more purposeful. And that is basically grades one through six. And the Schaefers and the Niemeisers and Sneeds uh, and any parts of those families, they will be available to talk to you about that in the back today also. But we have also gender-specific groups that get together. You need to know about those things. 
And we'll highlight one each week. You don't need to hurry, just listen and read perhaps on the boards what's available. Those are our core ministries. But perhaps you may not find a place that you feel like you fit in, but there's something urgent on your heart to do. We'll make space for that. That's altogether possible. And I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, but if you need to respond to the gospel today, that's the most urgent thing uh, that can be done today, is that somebody who's lost and in sin becomes a Christian and begins their walk of eternal life with Christ. Let's stand and sing together. To the work, to the work, we are